You are now listening to the Inner Circle Podcast Network. What is good, everybody? Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. Welcome one and all to Abacabu Cafe, the English language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. My name is Jason Almi, and I will be your host for this episode. Thank you for joining me. Today, we're going to talk about OVA 6, entitled Stage of Love Equals Heart on Fire, Birth of a Star. This OVA was originally released July 1st of 1990. That's weird. It's strange to see a 90s date on an Orange Road uh, anime. It's strange to me, but it is what it is. This episode was released two months after the previous OVA. So this one came out two months later, kind of like this podcast. It was directed, of course, by Yoshinaga Naoyuki, who's returning from directing the first Stage of Love, Heart on Fire episode. This is Yoshinaga's second directorial effort overall, and he's going to be back for one more, and that's going to be Message in Rouge, which we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. Also returning to write this episode is Terada Kenji. Terada, of course, wrote the first stage of Love, Heart on Fire episode. He's back to, to finish up the job. And this is the 22nd episode that has been written by Terada that we've talked about on this podcast so far. So we've got some consistency with the same writer and director team helming this two-parter. And again, as I mentioned last episode, this is a very rare example of a really direct episode-to-episode continuity. The final two TV episodes are the really only other example of a a very closely connected two-parter. And I might add that for the final two TV episodes, there is a different director. For 47 and 48. So unlike that pair, the pair of Stage of Love episodes do have the exact same creative team returning for both episodes. Creates a good bit of consistency in these two. Now, even before we see the first image, we hear the sounds of the crowd played over the title card. We're seeing the name of the episode, but we hear the din of a crowd. A spotlight comes on. 
It illuminates Hayakawa in a very tidy, symmetrical framing. Hayakawa makes a direct reference to the events of the previous OVA, and we even see an image of Kasuga and Hayakawa's souls switching bodies when they collided in kind of an interesting image. It's somewhat stylistically akin to the image of Ayukawa that we see in the wedding gown when Kasuga tries to use telepathy on her in episode 11. That's uh, Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. I don't know why it is so hard for me to say Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. Don't Ring the Wedding Bell. I don't know. That didn't come out like the first four times I tried it. Hayakawa proceeds to out Kasuga to a packed auditorium. Outsome as an esper, that is. Everyone in the crowd acts shocked. They can't believe it. Some of them even seem to recoil from Kasuga, despite the fact that nobody should really know who he is, and yet they recoil from him. Ayuko's reaction is given special significance as the background to the other people behind her, the seats, everything fade to black. The background is now a void. Ayuko is floating in this black background. She seems betrayed, maybe hurt. She doesn't seem frightened or revolted of Kasuga. She's kind of surprised, shocked. It's a rare opportunity to see Ayukawa's reaction to learning about the power. Albeit very brief and ambiguous, it's kind of a what-if, but it's nice to see how she might react to finding out Kasuga has ESP. A sudden cut to a sunny exterior, panning down to reveal the Kasuga family apartment building while Kasuga's calling Ayukawa's name. This tells us it was a dream. Kasuga often has foreboding dreams, though. So even though it's a dream, it's a bit of a fake out, it doesn't preclude that any of that might come to pass later in the episode. The nice thing about opening up an Orange Road episode with Kasuga dreaming is that it gives us an expectation right off the bat because we know he has foreboding dreams. And then there's the opportunity for subversion of that expectation as the episode goes on. But I do think it's a little bit weird that he's calling out for Ayukawa. He's calling Ayukawa's name in his sleep with Shikaru right there. Of course, he's asleep. He doesn't know she's right there, which leads me to my next observation. Is it kind of weird that Shikaru's like in his bedroom? She's just watching him sleep? That seems like some weird shit to me. Like, wouldn't she hang out in the living room or some shit? Like, wait for him to wake up in the living room, go have coffee with the twins or something? Like, sitting right by his bed waiting for him to wake up? That's kind of creepy, too. Like, you wake up and someone's there that you weren't expecting to be there, and it's like, what the f*** are you doing? I don't know. It's, it's just weird. It's strange to me. I don't want people hanging around without me knowing while I'm sleeping. I'm vulnerable. I'm going to wake up with somebody drawing some Sharpie on my face or something. I'm going to have a Hitler mustache because somebody was hanging out while I was asleep. That's not cool. And it seems to happen a lot, too. It seems to happen several times in the show that, like, people just go into his bedroom while he's sleeping. In the next scene, we see that Komatsu and Hata are still apparently doing some work for Hayakawa's tour. Hata makes a sexist comment about only letting in the attractive ladies. They're kind of bouncing outside the theater, I guess. Instant karma sees them getting their ass beat by all of the ugly broads. That's some good shit right there, too. They say, we're only going to let in the cute ladies. So, like, all the big six-foot-tall ladies with muscles are like, well, all right, we're going to kick your ass then. I've mentioned previously that I do not think that the portrayal of Hata and Komatsu is meant to be very flattering. We're not supposed to... We're not supposed to look at these two with any sense of admiration. 
At best, they're buffoons. They exist for us to laugh at their expense. Most of their appearances serve to ridicule them for their ugly behavior. So, look, this is another example of their ugly behavior. They're being sexist and whatnot. But I don't think the filmmakers are trying to tell us that this is a way to be. Though they did manage to secure seats for the the, uh, rest of the gang at the concert. I spoke last time about where in the TV series chronology these stage of love OVA take place. And given the presence of Shu and Yukari's band... This OVA is best viewed after TV episode 22. I would say definitely don't watch this thing before 22, because that's the episode that introduces Shu and Yukari. Kasuga had no idea who Yukari it was before episode 22, and in this episode, he knows about Shu, he knows about Yukari, he knows about the band. He's not surprised at all. And we know that TV episode 22 takes place in late August of 1987. So... Given that episode 22 was quite clearly the first time Kasuga had met Yukari, if this episode is truly taking place in May, as Kasuga's earlier voiceover suggests, and Ayukawa hasn't yet learned of the Kasuga family power, then this really could only be taking place in the spring of 1988, prior to the TV finale. We know in the TV finale that Ayukawa finds out about the power, If she doesn't know about it here, it's got to be prior to episode 47. That also likely means that episodes 47 and 48 aren't perfectly contemporaneous with their air dates. They must have occurred later in the spring. 47 airs at the end of February, 48 airs at the beginning of March. If this episode takes place in May and it also takes place prior to episode 47, that must mean that 47 and 48 take place also a little bit later in May. That would still place them in the springtime, but still after this episode. So again, more rationale for why I chose to place these episodes near the end, but before we talk about 47 and 48. Now, as Yukari is being loaded into the ambulance, Shu demonstrates a concern over the band's professional opportunity, but not so much over Yukari's health. I mean, this is his longtime girlfriend here, and, and granted, they've had their ups and downs, but she's getting loaded onto an ambulance. She collapsed. I don't know what happened. Who knows? She might have hit her head. That's really serious stuff. If she collapsed and hit her head, you definitely got to go to the hospital. Take her to the hospital because people have died that way. And I got to I got to wonder did he allow her to practice to the point of collapse? I mean did he did he push her there? And then he worries about how the band will go on. And I mean this could be somewhat cultural too. You know like the band should still have a chance for the other members to shine, you know even though Yukari is kind of going through something, you know maybe um Shu doesn't think it's fair to the other band members that they be prevented from a really important professional opportunity. And so it sort of makes sense in that context. But man, the guy does not seem super worried about his girlfriend. And he seems really super worried about the band being able to play at this concert. And because of that, I mean, honestly, this conflict would almost work better as a lead up to the fight that Shu and Yukari are experiencing in the Winter Beach episode. Because Shu could be bitter because Yukari cost them their shot at fame or Yukari might be bitter because Shu was putting the band first. A close-up shot of Shu's face as Yukari is loaded into the ambulance just before he asks Ayukawa to sing in her place. I can't help but think 
He looks like an accountant, not a rock star. His hair is short. He's got this neat part. He's wearing glasses, khakis, and like these smart loafers. He has his shirt tucked in, for Christ's sake. Shu looks like a whole-ass Dr. Scholl's commercial. He looks like he should be teaching seventh-grade science class, not leading a rock band in the 1980s. The other members all have, like, stylized hair and trendy glasses. Meanwhile, Shu looks like the guy I met at H&R Block who did my taxes. Also, I noticed a bit of irony in the next scene because Kasuga makes this use of the power, and, and it's good use of the power, but it's funny that he's exploiting the power while simultaneously trying to keep it a secret. So he's got to get close enough to Hayakawa to try to persuade him into keeping the, the thing a secret, but he's got to use the power to get close to Hayakawa. It's a little bit ironic that he's got to use the power that no one's supposed to know about to make sure that nobody knows about it. But it really makes me wonder why does Kasuga presume that Hayakawa will know his secret at all? Hayako's experience of Kasuga's powers were extremely limited. Would it be impossible to rule out other causes for the body swap? I mean, in the previous OVA, Hayakawa initially thought it was Kamisama granting his wish to be a normal person for once. He didn't assume that Kasuga had some weird family power. He thought God did something. Wouldn't it be just as easy for Kasuga to claim that Hayakawa is the secret esper? Couldn't he point the finger back at Hayakawa if Hayakawa accused him of having some secret power? And anyway, he's using his power to teleport into Hayakawa's room to try and convince the guy not to talk about Kasuga's psychic powers. It's like uh, rolling the dice on creating a Streisand effect. Kasuga's intense concern doesn't make a lot of sense to me given these thoughts, but I can accept that it's an irrational fear. I think all of us experience fears or insecurities that are irrational sometimes. I'm afraid of crocodiles, and I live in New England. I'm more likely to encounter David Bowie than a crocodile, but still, they scare the shit out of me. Hayakawa wanting to do the additional sound check shows that he is actually an artist. He's not just a vapid celebrity idol person. Despite his managers discouraging an additional sound check, he does want to get things perfect. We're beginning to see Hayakawa as a professional, someone who works hard at his craft. This episode is a nice contrast with the last one in that sense. Because in the last episode, he was just running away from girls and trying to get into Shikaru-chan's pants and then trying to get into Ayukawa's pants. We didn't see him as a real professional, as a true artist in the last OVA. And here, we get a sense of that. And there's a close-up shot of Hayakua and his own reflection in this scene. He's sitting in front of a mirror. And it's just after his manager stormed out. And I think this is important. I think the reflection that we see here is important. And it goes with the reflections that we saw in the previous episode, too. There's a theme here that's going to connect these two OVA. Here, the conflict is compounded by miscommunication. It's a classic maneuver for this franchise at this point. Kasuga asking Hayakawa to forget what happened to him yesterday. Kasuga, of course, means the ESP shit. Hayakawa thinks Kasuga means reconnecting with Shiori. There's no real light bulb moment for Hayakawa. He doesn't gasp or recoil at Kasuga in fear. 
he really doesn't seem to recognize Casca at all. And if he does, he plays it very cool. I wondered, wouldn't Hayakawa recognize the ugly face that he tried on for like eight hours just the previous day? At the end of their conversation, Hayakawa calls Kasuga by his name, though, and it does subtly reveal that he does recognize Kasuga. He knows who he's talking to. Next, Kasuga's got to go rescue Ayukawa, so he borrows a bike from the guard at the gate. It's sort of Kasuga's running gag where he borrows a bike and then proceeds to trash it. Now he's not even taking it from Master. I mean, he's just grabbing random strangers' bikes and and trashing them with the power. And I've got to wonder, where's the moped from the previous episode? At the beginning of the last OVA, he was driving a moped. That would be way better than the bike. I mean, even with the power, the bike maybe tops out at 40 or 50 miles an hour. I mean, the the moped's going to do 35 or 40 without the power. So I got to imagine the moped's a better option. And, And who knows where it is? It's just not there. He doesn't, he doesn't have it even though one would think maybe he should, because that would be his mode of transportation to the theater. But again, as we've seen in previous episodes, Kasuga uses the power to propel the bike to an inhuman speed. He's going 40 miles, 50 miles an hour, no helmet, while contemplating his feelings for Ayukawa. I mean, that seems to be kind of his thing. Whenever he's going 50 miles an hour on a bicycle with no helmet, instead of concentrating on his surroundings, not getting hit. He's thinking about his feelings for Ayukawa. The next shot shows a car wreck that's caused all of this traffic to back up, and it reveals the cause of Ayukawa's delay in returning. So we learn why she wasn't back yet. And it's now the 11th hour. I mean, Shu and the band are supposed to go on. They go on stage. They take the stage. They pick up their instruments, and they actually start playing. And Ayuka was still sitting in the taxi. Shu's band is just out there playing an instrumental of of their song. Like no one's gonna notice. We don't. We just don't have a singer. We're just gonna play the instrumental for three minutes and then call it a day. Kasuga saves the day very effectively here. I gotta say. I mean, he really pulls it out. He's usually pretty useless, and here he makes it happen quite competently. I think that's also a reason why maybe we want to view this towards the end of the uh, of the anime because Casca is kind of useless in the beginning and uh, towards the end, you know, he's able to learn a little bit to use the power a little bit more judiciously and to kind of be a little bit of a hero towards the end. He gets Ayukua back in time to sing and it's actually pretty epic. Um, it's unfortunate that nobody really knows what he had to go through to make it happen and his secret power, but we do as the audience and it's kind of badass. It's a rare badass moment for Kasuga. He doesn't usually have moments that are quite this cool. But I guess even a uh, a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and again, and that applies to Kasuga. I mean, he saves Ayukua from getting creamed by a bus, and then in the next instant, she opens her eyes and they're back at the theater, on stage no less. I have to imagine she knows something's up. Maybe she assumed she was unconscious for a few minutes, and then he got her back to the theater in the conventional way during that time. But to her credit, Ayukua asks no questions. There's no time for that. It's time to sing. And here's the song. This is Kaze no Manazashi. 
And uh, I suppose Kasuga assumes his secret is about to come out anyway. So why not use it to get Ayukawa back to the theater in a very obvious way? She's going to find out anyway in a minute. And there's a great moment here between Ayukawa and Kasuga where he delivers her to the stage. Kasuga actually has kind of a smooth line here. It's actually kind of, it's part of his badass moment. You know, he, he tells her, oh, I don't think there's going to be time to change into your stage outfit. So here you go. Just get on there and, and sing. It's a pretty cool moment for him. And Kasuga watches from backstage. Again, he's admiring Ayukawa's talent. I mean, for his part, he does realize how talented Ayukawa is musically. And this this parallels the early minutes of the previous OVA where he was watching her practice and he was realizing just really how jazzed she is about music. And, and others realize it too, including Hayakawa. Now, Tsubokura Yuiko performs this song. Rather than Ayukawa's Seiyu Tsuruhiromi, Tsubokuro also performed Breaking Heart, which featured prominently in the concert scene of episode 13. That's Shikaru's Super Transformation episode. Also, Tsubokura also performed Choose Me from the opening of today's OVA. And I've always loved Tsubokura's voice. She just sounds like a badass. I know I've mentioned it previously when I talked about Choose Me. She's just got this big voice, and I love how she just belts it out. This is my less favorite bop of hers. I think Choose Me and Breaking Heart are fantastic examples of uh, Orange Road tracks that slap. This one's not terrible either. You know, it's not it's not that bad. You see what I mean about the big voice. She's able to belt that stuff out. It's great. Now, Ayukawa runs offstage immediately to celebrate her performance with Kasuga. She's got her priorities straight, too. I mean, the first person she thinks of, Kasuga, as soon as she's done, she nailed it. And she knows she nailed it. And she wants to celebrate with Kasuga. I think that says something. Also, it's a perfect indication of what life might be like for them in the future. Towards the end of the series, I do wonder, like, what does a future look like for them as adults, you know, together? A music career doesn't mean that Kasuga can't be involved or won't have an important place. As soon as she's done and nailed it, she wants to share that moment with him. Despite Kasuga's possessiveness in the previous episode, he was worried that she was going to get Harvey Weinstein. Today, he's doing a great job supporting her. Maybe he's grown a little bit. Maybe that's part of his arc in this two-parter. He definitely trusts Ayukawa a little bit more. And he's very supportive of her musical talent, her potential musical career. Now, I got to wonder why Shiori would be watching from the crowd after reuniting with Hayakawa just the night before. One would think Hayakawa could swing a backstage pass for her. She could have access to the backstage just like Kasuga does. Nobody's asking Kasuga any questions He's definitely not Hayakawa's girlfriend. So once Hayakawa takes the stage, things seem to be playing out exactly as we saw in Kasuga's dream. Kasuga's dream was likely a foreboding dream. Uh, we know the foreboding dreams 
he doesn't always interpret them correctly. Of course, as with all of Kasuga's foreboding dreams, doesn't go exactly the way Kasuga expects it to. His interpretations of his prophetic dreams are always faulty. Hayakawa seems committed to his personal transformation. The birth of a star that this episode refers to in its title might at first glance be Ayukawa. She's an unknown who nonetheless wows the crowd with a dramatic entrance and then an intense and and masterful performance. And then on the other hand, we also have to consider that the climax of this episode shows us a transformation in Hayakawa. He no longer wants to be a sex symbol idol, but he's as dedicated to his craft as ever, as evidenced by all of the soundtracks and being a perfectionist. He's gone through a metamorphosis to become more than a pop star. He's elevated himself above that. Pop stars come and go. Hayakawa aspires to a level of artistry and stardom that would be more lasting, more tenable in the long term. The stagehand lays it out for us. This is the birth of a real star. And that's Hayakawa. Shu even seems to be influenced by Hayakawa. He's moved. He leaves before they're awarded the prize. They presume that they're going to win. But even before winning the prize, he leaves to go visit Yukari in the hospital. Rather than stay and accept that grand prize that, that surely awaits them. And in that sense, maybe... This episode doesn't work as a prelude to the Winter Beach episode. I mean, maybe Shu learns something, and and maybe he's ready to put Yukari first. And that's a more hopeful ending, I think, for the two of them, because Shu and Yukari really need to, to end things in a better place. We need an uplifting ending for them, because this is the last time we're going to see them. So... I like that it ends in a hopeful place for them. We can we can hope that finally, at the end of the series, things are going good for Shu and Yukari. He's finally got his priorities straight. Hayakawa parrots what a lot of other tangential characters like Master and Oji-san do. That is that Kasuga and Ayukawa is the real romance here. Hayakawa's final act is to remind the viewers of that even though it's not much of a mystery here in, in this OVA. Shikaru is a side character. She doesn't have the screen time and focus that Ayukawa gets, especially in these past two OVA. This is often the case in Orange Road episodes, especially after about the midpoint in the TV series. Earlier episodes, I think, did a slightly better job balancing Ayukawa and Shikaru, but Shikaru's never quite had the focus that Ayukawa has. So, it's really no wonder that Ayukawa is best girl. Sorry, Jay Pizzle. Kasuga's final line parallels his opening line of the previous OVA. It bookends it perfectly, and it makes the two OVA perfect to watch back-to-back. He repeats his line about the young flowers in bloom. Again, it's a reference to springtime. Springtime is a time of renewal, rebirth. It's symbolic of Hayakawa's metamorphosis. That has to happen in springtime, right? He's being reborn as a true star, not just a pop idol. It's also symbolic of the budding relationship between Ayukawa and Kasuga. It's appropriate that Orange Road draws to a close during the springtime. Ayukawa and Kasuga's relationship is also going to transform very soon. Ultimately, I think these OVA 
very enjoyable with some really good animation. You could tell that they stepped it up a little bit production-wise. There are visual motifs that are carried through both episodes. And I mean in the reflections that we see of Kasuga in the first episode and then of Hayakawa in this, the second episode of the two. The imagery of reflections evokes self-realization as both Kasuga and Hayakawa are lamenting their current situations and also contemplating their futures. The first reflection in the previous OVA, it features Kasuga as Kasuga in his own body reflected in the glass partition of the sound booth as he watches Ayukawa practice and his feelings for her in that moment are visually symbolized by crackling electricity flowing from the electronics to his hands. The second reflection features Hayakawa in Kasuga's body, realizing that he's somehow become an average nobody again. It's the moment of realization for Hayakawa that initiates his transformation into the artist he originally set out to be. It's what writes him and his path, gets him back on the path that he set out on originally. The third reflection is Hayakawa as Hayakawa returned to his own body, contemplating his future as an idol, as an artist, and as someone wanting to rekindle a relationship with a person from his past whom he almost lost. So I think the the reflection animations, it's not just meant to impress us. It's a little bit impressive. It steps the production value up a little bit, but there's a, a thematic meaning here too. There's a motif that they're trying to express here as well. And the animation of the reflections is effective at communicating this stuff wordlessly. Again, nothing needs to be said. The imagery does the talking. And it's in these episodes that I actually appreciate that Orange Road employs some subtlety. It was a satisfying arc for Hayakawa while also allowing for a little bit of growth in Kasuga as well. He knows now how easy it can be to let a relationship slip through your fingers. I think he learned something from Hayakawa's regret over what transpired between him and Shiori. And it's a real shame that they walked back Hayakawa's character development in the Shinkor movie. I'll talk about that more when we review that film, but it was really a shameful move by Terada to undo all of this really positive development that he himself built for Hayakawa in these OVA. But do you want to know what's not shameful? The opposite of shameful. And if you're Terada Kenji and you want to make up for yourself, then please go over to patreon.com slash Team Almy. Become a patron of Team Almy Studios and you can relieve all of the shame and guilt that you feel over ruining Hayakawa's character. Or if you're not Terada Kenji, hey, go join us. We have uh, all sort of bonus features. I've got video of me deep frying Katsusan. Somehow I managed to not cut my pinky finger off and uh, I didn't even burn myself. We've got uh, exclusive Shit Happens When You Party Naked Patreon exclusive podcast and I'll send you merch. I'm going to do it. I'm going to send you swag for joining the Patreon because I love you that much. Thank you to my Patreon patrons. I appreciate you so much. Also, I want to encourage you to please go check out Creatures of the Night. It's another podcast I work on. It's kooky. It's fun. We uh, 
do DMT on the beach and talk about Bigfoot and DB Cooper. It's really a ton of fun. You need more podcasts to listen to. Let's be honest. This podcast does not take up enough hours of your week. And so you need more, but I've got more for you. So go check out creatures of the night. I will leave a link in the show notes to creatures of the night. I want to say thank you again for listening. I very much appreciate you. If you're hearing my words right now, thank you so much. Truly. Today we heard Tsubokura Yuiko sing Kaze no Manazashi. This is one of my last opportunities to do so. So I'm going to play a song for you from one of her albums. I think around this time, 87, I think this album came out. This is Dancing in the Middle of Night 